Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less, the podcast series that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, eight words or less. I'm Sammy, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm James. I'm your other host. So this week, Sammy, you've chosen a book, a bit of a tongue twister to get the name right every time, but Uncommon Sense and Common Nonsense. I think that's right. I was getting it back to front. Um, uh, A great book written by Jules Goddard and Tony Eccles, both uh, very impressive uh, credentials at, at different uh, business schools and universities. I, I loved, I loved the title of this, and I, I loved a lot of the phraseology that came through it. But essentially, they're saying that traditional management principles are no longer effective in today's business climate. And it's interesting because they were writing in a climate just after the 2008 financial crisis. So a lot of what they were talking about. It is very relevant for today because it's sometimes comparing how you need to operate in a crisis compared to you know, what may have come before and the importance of creativity, entrepreneurship, and this idea of uncommon sense, which they define as thinking or acting differently from other organizations in a way that makes unusual sense. They argue that this is a secret to competitive success. By contrast, they talk about common nonsense, which they seem to find all too often in organizations. And they call this the aggregate of all the false assumptions that are shared by every competitor. And they go through numerous examples, such as best practice, sharing, uh, the focus on cost-cutting, the way people are doing strategy, and essentially arguing the more of uncommon sense that you can use versus the more that you can reduce the common nonsense, the more you will differentiate yourself from competition and the more successful you'll be. And they come up with, I thought, a lot of very good practical solutions for facilitating you know, responsive organizational change. So, Sammy, really excited to hear your central message on this book. Well, the central message is eight words, James, and it even has a rhyme in it as well this time. So the central message is, it's time for a new paradigm in business. Nice. Yeah, good. I like it. Petal One is about strategy in business all too often being what the authors describe as a common nonsense. Strategy should be uncommon sense. When somebody in a market knows something that nobody else in the market knows and has the courage to act upon it, that's uncommon sense. When acted upon illegally, the authors say it's called insider trading. And when it's done lawfully, we call it entrepreneurship. And there's a quote in the book from Michael Porter. He says, strategy is about setting yourself apart from the competition. It's not a matter of being better at what you do. It's a matter of being different at what you do. But too many companies adopt a strategy of common nonsense, defining it as cost competitiveness and seeking efficiency gains through cost reduction, for example. Counterintuitively, managing costs directly causes overall costs to rise because managers are looking at the wrong thing, James. Instead, if you manage the value to the customer, then as a byproduct, costs will fall because you're no longer paying to provide what the customer doesn't want. And I mean, it's such an important time to be thinking about this because almost every business around the world is going to have to be pivoting and making incredible changes to the way they operate. And I think a number of leaders might default 
to focusing maybe even solely on cost cutting. How can we reduce costs to keep our business afloat? And, you know, you can have a lot of sympathy with that, but it's not about ignoring your cost position. It's not about ignoring how efficiently you can do stuff, but that can't be your sole focus. If that's all you're looking at, then exactly as you say, you might be delivering something incredibly efficiently, but it's no longer what the customer wants, especially given how much customer behavior is changing and will continue to change in a world of COVID-19 and post-COVID-19. So I think it's really interesting, and it comes in this book as well, sort of moving with the wrong data. And, and there was actually a very interesting article in Harvard Business School about this, talking about as organizations are going through these type of changes, as they're thinking about resizing and changing the operational model, uh, there's a tendency to try and keep that decision-making in a very limited set of leaders and using data such as perhaps competitive benchmarking or earnings. And what this article was suggesting was that that can lead to, to wrong sizing, to the wrong decisions being made and to demoralize employees. Whereas if you're trying to redesign your operations, you should try and be taking data from your most valuable source of proprietary insight, which is your employees. And if you include data, if you include the insights and the inputs that are coming from people that are actually doing the day-to-day, -day, you're going to get much more relevant data and you're going to make better decisions. You're going to have more ambitious change and visions and you'll have a more engaged workforce as you're going through it as well. Strategy is not like dentistry or carpentry or playing the French horn, all of them occupations for which technical expertise is required. The authors say strategy shouldn't be delegated to an individual or expert. It should be a process by which collective decisions get made without the need for a master designer or hierarchy. So effective strategic thinking, it's a bit like uh, the logic of scientific discovery. It should not adhere to an inductive process for getting to ideas, starting with observation, analysis, leading to conclusion. So like a linear approach. Rather, we should be engaging people of a front line. We should be speaking to customers. The sequence of activity should conform, they say, to the method of science, starting with problems and questions, then looking for tentative options and answers, then testing those again, from which further richer problems and questions arise. And I'm not sure that the current paradigm of a typical year in business supports this. My experience of business was that the year was divided up. So January and February was very very much dedicated to people coming back from holidays, performance conversations. March was kind of blocked out for bonus time. April, you would have conversations, particularly at a senior level, a couple of town halls around strategy. And then we block out summer holidays. September, people come back. We start doing budgets. October, they get locked in. Performance reviews and calibration. A couple of offsites around strategy in November and December, we're off. I, I, I'm hoping that's changed in the years I've been gone, James, but I suspect... I, I mean, I think there's still still too much of a focus on five-year strategic plans where more effort is put into the, the quality of the PowerPoint presentation than, uh, than actually sometimes the thought <laughs> that goes in. But, but you're right, the paradigm does need to, to shift, right? I mean, even the idea of a five-year strategic plan, and this, this has come up in so many of the podcasts we've done, but I mean, what use was a five-year strategic plan two years ago? You would never have perceived uh, COVID-19 and, and is throwing it all out. One of the things that I took from this, and it reminded me 
of that metaphor used in The Day After Tomorrow around the difference between the banana plantation and the jungle, how one is very good at making bananas, but for innovation, you need that wild chaos of the jungle. And obviously using different language, they talked about this a lot in the book, and you mentioned hierarchy and administration. And the challenge with large organizations is you do need that. You need administration. You need uh, the hierarchy that helps things to be delivered in an efficient way. But it's not very good at delivering creativity, delivering innovation. And for that, the um, the author said you need this, this concept of organized chaos. I think this balance to try and strike, especially in a world that we're coming through where, where things are going to change so quickly, is going to be a key challenge for organizations. Every change curve I look at starts with the case for change or that burning platform. And what better opportunity than now? All of the constructs, assumptions we had about business are shifting. And maybe it's too strong to say that these are 19th and 20th century industrial habits, but the assumptions, routines, and rituals, James, that made sense in the context of a pre-COVID world means that we have this case for change. And that's why it's time for a new paradigm in business. Petal number two, it's about a new way of approaching line managers or middle managers. Clients often tell me about the problem that they have in business. And I've noticed it's usually not the person telling me the problem that is the problem. It's usually the line managers or middle managers in the organization who get blamed for not cascading messaging properly from the top, uh, not enacting the strategy, as we said, uh, for not engaging the people who are on the front line, for example. And I've heard this term emerge over the last couple of years, the permafrost or the frozen middle in organizations. So listeners will have heard me say before, if we are all good people in business, why does this feedback or why does this commentary show up so consistently? The authors dig into this a little bit deeper and they say, well, we shouldn't be surprised. Managers are expected to compete with their peers for promotion whilst also being exemplary team players. They're invited to collaborate naturally and generously with their colleagues, uh, expected also to be entrepreneurs, putting their career and financial security at risk on behalf of a shareholder, while also serving as model bureaucrats and corporate citizens and complying dutifully with every regulation and rule placed their way. And so imagine without even a line manager certification program, the skill that is going to be imparted or developed in the organization to set people up for success, you have all of these contradictions that sit in that role. And I think, James, of all the BS statements that I was exposed to when I was a line manager, I used to hear, challenge the orthodoxy, break the rules. Are you with us or against us? Uh, Put all your effort into simply being yourself. Think the unthinkable or just do it. And I've noticed this existing pattern in business is one where bold things are said while enacting quite conventional policies. We talk a good game, but we our deeds rarely measure up to that rhetoric. Yeah, and I mean, it is incredibly difficult. I think for, for all line managers and middle management and quite a lot of us, especially working in corporate w- world, is that old phrase of uh, when I'm wrong, you never forget. When I'm right, you never remember. And uh, I think uh, in, in a way in the book, they talked about this a lot. They talked about this asymmetry of risk where mistakes carry more weight than triumphs. 
Um, and it reminded me a bit of black box thinking about the importance of redefining failure so that we are more comfortable with it and, and use it as a way of driving effective change and, and, and of ultimately uh, getting to the right outcomes. And it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to, to change. It's not an easy thing to address. And that's the unwritten ground rules that sit in the system. So maybe the learning here is there is an issue around middle managers and we need to look at the culture. But perhaps not an issue around middle managers, because in a way, exactly as you say, it's the demands on them. Sometimes, for example, there isn't even the autonomy needed to make the decisions that they might be in the best place to make. And yet there can still be that element of blame if something is not going the way that it's meant to be going. So I, I, I agree. I think, and it comes links back to the point at the start around thinking about the redesigning of the organization. Uh, your employees are going to be crucial. They're going to be the difference between success or failure of it. And it will be through line managers that you'll be able to enact that change. When I started my career, as you know, I was cabin crew. And when I was promoted to the manager of economy or business, you're not the full manager, that's a flight purser, but you manage a cabin and you lead the team, but you don't lead the whole ship, if you like. And the job title was SFS, Senior Flight Steward or Stewardess. And we used to call it Stress FS because it was such a hard position. You were sandwiched between having to make decisions, living the rules and values of the organization, but you weren't fully in charge. And I remember those days of just wanting to be either a junior or a top senior rather than that really challenging position in the middle. But the authors go on to say, you know, staying in control, reigning in emotions, masking your true self, giving away little and not upsetting people, saving face, but also protecting others' face. There's all that going on in the current paradigm of business. And I just sense, James, that humanity deserves better than We dream vaguely, but we dread precisely. So that's why it's time for a new paradigm in business. The third and final petal is about the possibility of a new way of leading companies. So, of course, it builds on the first two petals. The authors recount how at a business school leadership program, a senior executive at Rolls-Royce described two quite different internal cultures at play in the company. There was the default culture, if you like, which felt very rational, structured, process-centric, rule-bound, risk-adverse. And then there was the other When there was a crisis of some sort, these executives said it felt emotional, spontaneous, problem-centric, courageous, and entrepreneurial. These people said that when a crisis strikes, the rule book is no longer cited as the first point of call. Uh, Their personal fear of failure, that dread we spoke about in Petal 2, well, it ceases to cramp their style, and it's no longer about managers, process owners, or function heads. It's about problem solvers, team players, and human beings. Anyone who thinks she or he can help weighs in. They listen to and build on the ideas and invite customers, suppliers to join in on the same terms. In that state, everybody feels energized. And so the question becomes, is there a new way of leading? Is there a new way of working. Why can't we have, James, that spirit of firefighting without the need for a fire? 
Yeah, I mean, this is so interesting because the last three months, all of us in, in any organization have been living through that. Um, and the the change in attitudes and cultures and the way in which we work is is just remarkable. You know, you, you reference mm-hmm. the rule book being thrown out. But the interesting thing is that doesn't mean that people aren't still aware of doing the right thing about uh, or aware of risk or aware of importance of good controls. It's just that actually people can be trusted to do the right thing without having a rule book that tells them what that right thing is in, in, in 10 different uh, sub-fonts. And it's incredible when you when you give that level of autonomy, how quickly things can get done. And we've, as an organization, delivered technical solutions in days that would have taken months before. We have uh, made a record number of people able to work from home through incredibly innovative uh, ways around, you know, whether it's technical or process changes, um, you know, ideas coming from multiple sources uh, being received in a far more engaged way and utilized to create a more effective working environment and, and in my view, give phenomenal customer service. And I mean, there's so many examples that I see all over this our organization and you do want to try and maintain that type of a culture, that type of approach, that type of pace. And yeah, it will be interesting to see how this develops, how we can try and keep what is best of how we've reacted without diluting our controls. Well, that's why, James, it's time for a new paradigm in business. And in this new paradigms, the authors say leaders, managers are even going to talk differently. Uh, They name five specifically. I'll just give a quick overview. They talk about straight talk. This is about people saying what they need to hear rather than what people want to hear. And that encourages others to do so as well. They have fearless talk creating the conditions for people to prefer to share their knowledge, however discomforting than to conceal it. They go on to describe contrarian talk, encouraging people to play the role of devil's advocate, recognizing that innovation, as we heard in the last podcast episode, requires an inversion of standard thinking. Then there's awkward talk, recognizing and embracing the moment when challenging conversations about challenging topics with challenging people can be best approached. And lastly, plural talk, again, multiplying those perspectives with a view to covering blind spots and balancing out our inherent biases. Sammy, I think they're really good points. And one of the things as I was reading that, actually, it really reminded me of some of what was talked about in Rebel Ideas about the importance of a cognitively diverse team and creating an environment where those people with diverse backgrounds, ideas, and thought process feel comfortable in being able to share those and have those ideas and that information acted on. And I'm imagining a paradigm where we're no longer mesmerized as we are today with visionary goals, stretch targets, common nonsense, strategic plans, rules of engagement, statements of values. But we're able to bring these three petals to life. And that's why it's time for a new paradigm in business. Fantastic, Sammy. Well, thank you uh, for that. A really interesting 
uh, book, a very interesting one to finish our first season. That's 10 podcasts that we've done now. And of course, thank you to Jules Goddard and Tony Eccles for, for this very interesting and very relevant book. And most of all, thank you to everyone who's listened for, for the feedback, for the comments. I hope you enjoyed the season and we will be looking forward to coming back with another one sometime soon. Absolutely. And what a way to end this season of Eight Words or Less with It's Time for a New Paradigm in Business. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you'll be able to download our previous episodes, get updates on what next. We have a couple of bonus episodes planned too. Um, And as always, use the hashtag Eight Words or Less, sharing your thoughts, experiences, and any book recommendations you have for season two. So thank you, James, and bye for now.